0: You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org. Uh, uh, let's uh, go to John chapter 12. We're doing the, uh, what do you call it, the the triumphal entry from John chapter 12, verses 12 to 26. John's Gospel, 12 chapter 12 verse 12 to 26 the next day a great multitude that had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out Hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord the King of Israel then Jesus when he had found a young donkey sat on it as it is written Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him, and that they had done these things to him. Therefore the people who were with him when he raised Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason the people also met him, because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, You see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they said to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Open our spiritual ears and eyes, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, so uh, I was supposed to speak on Do Not Judge this week, but Pastor Ken changed my sermon topic coming, so now I've got the triumphal entry, uh, and so uh, we are going to look at a passage of scripture that is what I call kamikaze ministry, all right? This wasn't the triumphal entry, this was the suicidal entry, all right? He was going to his death. He was going into trouble. And in John chapter 11 uh, is, is when, they, when, when Lazarus is raised. And you remember that Lazarus gets sick and, and Jesus and his disciples stay there for a little while and then Jesus says, we're going to see him. And Thomas says, let us go with Jesus that we may die also. And they say to him, why are you going down there into Judea where the Jews have just tried to stone you? So they knew and they thought they were all going to die with Jesus. They all thought they were going to be murdered with Jesus. They thought, well, we'll follow him. <laughs> right? They were scared. That's why they ran away in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's why during the week when Jesus was teaching, they would go out to the Mount of Olives at night. That's why they hid behind doors after the resurrection. They were terrified of the people of Judea. Now they were nice and safe up there in Galilee. and They were with their friends up there in Capernaum and Bethsaida. That was good. But coming down to Judea was different. The Jews were tough. It was a satanically operated city. It was controlled by powers and principalities of the Romans. It was controlled by powers and principalities and demons of the Pharisees and Sadducees and high priests. It was a place that was going to react explosively to the presence of Jesus in one way or the other. So when he comes in, the people who had seen him raise Lazarus from the dead, they reacted explosively in one way and put down the palm branches and threw down their things. But then another group reacted explosively in the other way and said, Oh, we're, we're, uh, look, the whole world has gone after him. He's going to take our place. He's going to take the city from us. Uh, and then uh, we just, just before this passage, we go back just a couple of verses. It's, uh, we go back to verse 9. Now a great many of the Jews knew he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but they also, that they may also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to de- death also, because of, on account of him many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. So the plot was going on to kill Jesus and Lazarus, And that's the first thing mentioned before the triumphal entry. So this was danger time. Okay, let's give you some of the chronicles, some of the events that are happening here. Lazarus is resurrected from the dead. Then uh, there's the anointing at Bethany uh, in the house of Lazarus. The the oil is poured over Jesus. At that point, Judas makes a decision to betray Jesus and heads off. Now, I'm a little compressed on time today, so I'm just going to, Uh, uh, tell you what's happening here Judas takes off for because not just the anointing and the waste of money which we see and he was a thief but he's also scared he doesn't want to die with Jesus because Jesus after the anointing says she has done this for my burial right he'd entered into Judea it was a risky time And he says, she's done this for my burial. And he he thinks, well, Jesus gets killed, I'm going to get killed. So I'll go to the high priest and save my skin. That's what he's thinking. And he got some money out of it. So he's going to betray Jesus because he's a weasel and he's a thief and he's a coward. Right? Uh, uh, And he's a self-preserving person. So he runs off there. Then the Pharisees decide to kill Jesus and Lazarus, which we've just seen. Then we have the triumphal entry, which you've just read. Then Jesus teaches in the temple for a week. And then at the last bit, he does the Last Supper. Remember, he's got to follow a guy with a water jar into, uh, into Jerusalem, do all the sneaky stuff and go to an up room that's prepared and be all covert. to have the Last Supper, right? Because they're all terrified. Judas betrays him at the Last Supper. And then we have the cross and the resurrection. So here we have complete chaos. This is a week of chaos. The whole of Jerusalem is being thrown into chaos. People are trying to arrest him, left, right, and center. The soldiers come to grab him and they say, we've never seen a man of such authority. And they go off. Everyone's confused. Everyone's thrown in turmoil by his teaching. And you think, how can God be working in this mess? How can God be working in the midst of chaos and murder and sin and plots and conspiracies and dirty work and backstabbing and betrayal? How can God... Be at work in this mess and yet prophecy after prophecy after prophecy is fulfilled. Let's just look at two of them. Psalm 118 verse 26. I've marked them out. Okay. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. This is what they were crying out at the time in the Hosanna thing. And then, uh, I think it was uh, Pastor Rami read out, uh, Zechariah 9, verse 9, earlier, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. By the way, just as an incidental thing, Jesus can't have been very big. Because if you can ride a small donkey, you're not very big. A cult is a foal is not a very big animal, right? I, I had an uncle who had a farm, so I got to know a little bit about farm animals and I learned that I should not have anything to do with farming. <laughs> but I, I tried to ride at one point small cattle, you know, Velas, you know vealers, you know. It wasn't a very good experience for me, but even at that size at that size they were you know, they couldn't hold me and I was a skinny nerd, you know. So so the if it's if so, it's he can't have been huge. He can't have been like six foot three and ride a small animal like that. So, he must have been a medium-sized person. Anyway, that's beside the point. <laughs> Jesus fulfills at least 353 Old Testament prophecies. He, he sold, for th- during this week, during this crazy week, he sold for 30 pieces of silver. His side is pierced with a, a, a spear. He's lifted up. Uh, he's surrounded by... Um, uh, people that are, that are scorning him uh, and saying if the Lord delivers him again and again and again you think of the, all the prophecies that point to Jesus in the last week they are all fulfilled in a time that any sensible person would say God isn't doing anything God's out of control here they're killing the Messiah God why don't you turn up and, and on the, when, they, when Jesus finally breathes his last People walk away from the cross beating their breast. God's failed. God's failed. The Messiah's crucified. It's all over. We're finished. And it looks like chaos. It looks like defeat. It looks like the end of the world. But it's not. Because it's Friday but Sunday's coming. The resurrection's around the corner. And God is actually fulfilling his purposes with great precision... In the midst of absolute madness. God always fulfills his word and his purposes for your life. Now I have, you know, on my, my ministry goes through times of struggle. Let's put it that way. And sometimes God says to me, you're like Frodo on the way to Mordor. You're just plodding along every day, just keep plodding. Right? Just keep plotting. Forget about the Nazgul. Forget about this. Forget about that. Forget about all the crazy stuff that's going on. Just keep plodding. Right? And sometimes that's what we've got to do. We've got to say, this is chaos. This is madness. This is struggle. Put one foot in front of the other and keep obeying God. And He will work it out. Okay. So. See, so the disciple covered this. The disciples thought it was pure suicide, uh, etc. His destiny was not the throne but the cross. Okay. Now, there's a thing we call the comfort zone. It's the place we would like to be. It's nice. It's cozy. They're having a good time. Great healing ministry up, up there in Galilee. And Jesus says, let's wreck all this. Let's go down to Judea. Let's get out of the comfort zone and go to the cross. And they followed him. That's loyalty, that's love, that's discipleship. Uh, uh, And they took their risk and they moved out of the comfort zone. Jesus always took his disciples out of the comfort zone. He put them in a boat in the middle of the storm. Uh, He'd send them up to confront demoniacs and epileptics and lepers and all these kind of people. He constantly, they were never sitting around just playing kumbaya on the guitar and having sweet fellowship forever and ever. There's times of that. There's times when it was good and he'd take them out somewhere and teach them. But there was times when he was challenged and they were challenged and they were challenged. Being with Jesus can be really crazy. Uh, If you look at the people in the Bible, they always get messed up by being with Jesus or being with God. Abraham could have had a great old time in Ur of the Chaldees. He was rich, his family was there, but he had to go and wander around to Canaan. Moses, he has to put up with the people of Israel for 40 years and the Pharaoh who's trying to kill him. You know, Everyone gets messed up by being with God, but they get messed up in a good way. And we'll see what that means later on. Okay, Judas, uh, he goes, oh, I covered that earlier. Okay. Now, at one point it says, the time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. 12.23. So, it, it after, after the Greeks come up to Jesus, he says, Now has the time come for the Son of Man to be glorified. If the disciples probably thought, Great, he's going to take this show down. We thought there was going to be suicide, but, but maybe, maybe he's got a plan here. People will support for a brief moment. And then he goes on and talks about the seed dying uh, in the next sentence. So, glory... For Jesus was not self-centered earthly success. He does not end up with a Cadillac. Glory equals carrying out God's will and going to the cross. You glorify God when you carry out his will, and God will glorify you when you carry out his will. But your glory has to wait a little bit. It waits till you get to heaven. Right? right. if you obey God, you don't end up necessarily becoming the next senator for California. Right? You just remain you, and God puts that up in your, your record in heaven. When you get to heaven, that's when you get most of your glory. Okay, we'll saw, see, see more about that later. Okay. Jesus reminds them that the way up in the kingdom is always down. He who is to be greatest among you Must be the servant of all. And here, let's go back to John's gospel for a moment here. Okay. It says, uh, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. So, the way of the seed is down into the ground and die. And then it becomes fruitful. And there is a tendency for us to say, no, I've got to cling to my status. There was an article recently, I think, in Christianity Today or something like that that I read online. And it said, the reason that engaging the culture isn't working for churches is that most people view Christians as being lower status. Lower status. They view Christians as people we don't take any notice of. Uh, They're not worth bothering with. That's the secular point of view. And they're not worth joining. And so when we try to engage the culture, they're saying, no, da, da, da. That's what the non Christian is thinking. That's not what God thinks, right? That's not what we think. But people look upon Christians as beneath them. Right? And, when, and if I go out to a, a gathering where I'm with a, a, a secular people and I say, what do you do to your living? And I say, I'm a missionary. Guess how much respect I get? Zero. I get that look and people turn their back and walk away from me every single time. They just don't bother saying a word to me. They don't even say hello. They just turn their back and walk away. Because that's what people think of missionaries. Uh, but if I say I'm CEO of a digital, uh, uh, whatever, make, make up something for cyber missions because I do websites, then they respect me. <laughs> All right? But if I say I'm a Christian something, then nah, not. And so, we have to accept that associating with Christ means we're going outside the gate, we're joining him with the cross, and in some people's eyes, we will be a lesser human being. But that's okay, right? We're not lesser in God's eyes. So, we've got to die to various status things, etc. Christians are like seeds of the gospel, and Jesus is the capital S seed of the gospel, and it goes into the ground and die. We have to die to our ego in order to bear much fruit. We have to fall apart before we bear fruit. And this is very true. You know, I, I, you know, I had a tendency, I probably still there, to be an arrogant nerd. Self-sufficient, arrogant nerd is, was sort of my basic personality before I got saved. Uh, I could say that might, might just occasionally be there, right? Uh, and so I had to fall apart and go through a lot of suffering in order to get God's blessing on my life. Right? I had to go through some lots of pain, which I'm not going to detail here, in order to be useful to God because I was an independent kind of coot. Right? I was not naturally broken. God had to break me and I had to fall apart. Before I could be fruitful. And that's, that will be a different thing for, for you than for me. And God's not cruel. In the end, it's okay. 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 It's, Jesus then goes on to say, He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him, the Father I will honor. We either love the world or we love God. That's a choice. You can't do both. Let's look at 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Okay, where is it? Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the will. And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So, if you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. You have to unhook yourself from that, and it's a slow and difficult process for most of us. Selfishness is the opposite of agape love. Selfishness says, "I am clinging to all my stuff, and I'm not giving out. I'm not giving out love. I'm not giving out things. I'm not giving out money. It's all mine. <laughs> now, I will choose to so you up, 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 and you cling to your little stainless steel cylinder, and you remain there." If you love this life, you live out of fear because this life always changes. You can't hold on to it. It's flowing away. If you go back to the place where you went to elementary school and you find the school's all gone, the, uh, the, the creek that you used to play in, it's now full of plastic and rubbish. Yeah. You go back and, and, and the world isn't the way you remembered it. All right. You cannot cling on to this world as you get older, friends pass away. You start visiting hospitals more often. right? And you can't cling on to life as it was and eventually you die. right? You cannot hold on to stuff. You can't hold on to friendships. You can't hold on to glorious moments of revival in your ministry. They come and they go. And when you cling to this life, it's fear. It's trying to hold the moment in the box. I've got it. I'm not going to change. And you perish because that moment perishes and you perish with it. Uh, and life just keeps on changing whether you like it or not. My hair has fallen out whether I liked it or not. I, I In my little mind, I believe that I'm 25 and Minda's 21 and that's staying that way forever and ever and ever. Right, But that's not true. <laughs> that's a convenient delusion, right? I am not twenty-five, I can't easily run five miles like I used to. Yeah. Those days are long gone. And you can't cling to that stuff anymore, right? Grasping equals losing. A last slight thing on the slide. Some of us have a thing that says goes, the one thing God must do for me is, and you've got a bargain with God, and you're clinging to that. I just want this one thing from God and it's whatever. Most of the time you won't get that because God says that's an idol. Alright? The one thing I need from God is to be a bazillionaire. The one thing from God I want is social respect. The one thing I want from God is X, Y, Z, and you've got that nailed down, and this is your bargain between you and God. Right? That always gets you into spiritual trouble. You've got to let go and let God direct your life. When I was younger, and I was single for a long time because no one likes nerds in ministry. All right? i was always praying for this woman or that woman, and she's the one, and she's another one, and blah, 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 blah. Never got any of them, right? Finally, God brings along men that praise the Lord, right? But there's a whole sense of which we're clinging for this one thing that we need to make our life happy, right? And we have to let go of that. If we try to love this life, cling to this life, when, when that doesn't work out, people end up unbelieving in God because he didn't deliver the one thing they wanted. All right. Lose this life equals keep life eternal. I'll spend a bit of time on this. If you're able to lose this life, you are able to change. Right? If you're able to change, you're able to receive God's love because God's love always changes you. When God loves me, he gets on my case and he says, change this, change that, change this, <laughs> Or his love makes me more secure or this or that or the other. God's love keeps on changing John and I'm sure it keeps on changing you whether you want to or not. Right? He might change something about me being grumpy. He might change something. Da, 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 but he's always working on my case. And if you cling to where you're at, you can't change. If you can't change, you will resist God's love. Right? But if you can let go then you'll be able to change, you'll be flexible, you'll be able to receive God's love and that ability to change and to receive God's love will mean your ability to receive eternal things including spiritual growth. You'll receive your spiritual growth because you're able to say, yes, I'll do that, yes, I'll adapt, yes, I'll change. In my case, yes, I'll go to Bible college because I did not want to go to Bible college, I did not want to go into the ministry, I wanted to hide in a chemistry laboratory. Right? Uh, and so God dragged me into ministry. And I went kicking and screaming because I did not want to change. I liked my familiar world of analysis and so on. Right? But I, well, as I gradually became, I became able to receive eternal things including spiritual growth. He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep for that which he cannot lose. You cannot keep the present moment. You cannot keep your life as it is. It's going away. right? Uh, But what you cannot lose is your eternal life. That remains. So it's very natural to want to cling to the nice moments. It's very natural to want nice things in life. I'm not condemning that. If you've got nice things in life, please enjoy them because God has given you all things to enjoy. But know that you will enjoy them for a while and then they will go away, right? Because that's what happens in life. Or you will go away. You'll go to heaven, right? So you don't live in your nice house forever and ever and ever and ever. At some point, you have to leave that house and go to heaven, right? Uh, So you don't get to cling You can have them, you can use them for the Lord, but if you're stuck to them, if you're glued to them, and if your whole identity is in them, then that gets really messy, right? You have to say, great, I surrender this to God, I'm enjoying it while I've got it, and so on and so forth. Okay. Deciding against fear. When we cling to this life, we're living in fear, just like the disciples were living in fear, and just as the triumphal entry was a time of fear. First we have to do it anyway and the disciples did it anyway. They went with Jesus straight into this mess and they overcame their fear that way. Decide that fear is just information, not prohibition. When fear comes up in your head, you think it's saying no. In fact, it's just giving you information that the situation is dangerous. You can proceed. The disciples were afraid, but they proceeded and they went through it all with Jesus. They, they fluffed up a bit at the end, but they went in anyway. And Jesus went in anyway. And he triumphed because he completely overcame his fear, including the fear of the cross. And that's what he did in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, fear is just information. You can go ahead despite your fear. It's not prohibition. It's not the law of God. Decide you have the ability to ignore the information that fear presents to you if you want. And look to the everlasting reward. Now, depending, there are. They say that there's about a hundred thousand people a year who are persecuted and killed for their Christian faith, of which twelve hundred are, are definite martyrs who are killed testifying for Jesus. There's two different categories. One, they're out there testifying for Jesus and they're shot and killed because they're testifying to testify the gospel. The other, the uh, ninety thousand or so. Uh, they're they're people who are just christians whose villages are burnt down or starved to death or killed which is terrible right but but there's a tremendous cost for the christian faith and people need you need to be able to say when things get rough i'm going to stand up for jesus i'm going to proceed through the scary bits of my christian life and i'm going to do it anyway just like the disciples did just like jesus did just like paul did I think Paul Ivor did it sometimes. He was really, really, really bold. Uh, but this, this, you have to go ahead. You have to be the seed that dies. Now, I'm not wanting to make your life entirely miserable. Don't think that. I'm, I'm not out to, to, to send you all off to Ghana as a missionary or something. Uh, but you will have challenges where you are at. And when you meet those challenges, you have to say, I'm a Christian first and foremost, and I'm going to... Not listen to my fear today. I'm going to step out and I'm going to be bold for Jesus. Okay. Service results in honour from God. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am there, my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honour him. First, so, if you want to serve Jesus, follow him in every detail of your life. Be honest, be upright, be self-controlled, be loving, be kind. Follow Jesus in every detail. Do the good works God has prepared beforehand for you to do. Ephesians 2, 8-10. And I know I'm running out of time. Okay. Uh, this is important. Ephesians 2, 8-10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So if you feel like uh, Frodo walking to, uh, across, you know, to Mount Mordor or whatever it is, you just keep on doing it, you know. You just keep on doing those good works. Don't get discouraged. You keep on doing the stuff that God's called you to do, one foot after the other, whether it's taking care of aged parents, working as a nurse very diligently, being a very precise engineer, or work, being part of the worship team here. Whatever God's called you to do, do those good deeds okay last slide okay worship team can come up (coughs) Uh, we need to set four priorities in our mind we will do God's will rather than our own will it was not the will of the disciples to accompany Jesus into Judea they did not want to go But they went anyway because they did God's will and not their own will. And Jesus went to the cross saying, Not my will, but thine be done in the garden of Gethsemane. Next, eternal reward versus temporal reward. Jesus knew he wasn't going to get any temporal reward. He wasn't going to get a throne. When he was going into Jerusalem, it was just going to be the end of his life. But he knew he would have an eternal reward. And so, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. That's in Hebrews. All right. So, Hebrews 12. So, divine destiny versus comfort zone. If you cling to your comfort zone, you're going to do in your divine destiny. If they had stayed there in Capernaum, if they'd stayed there up in the nice places in Galilee, they would have never reached their divine destiny. They had to get out of their comfort zone to go there. And you have a choice between fruitful and risky or barren and safe. And we, we tend to choose the barren and safe. we like, my life will be a nice stainless steel cylinder. It will be polished. It will be secure. It will be safe. It will be tidy. And, and, that, and that's where we stop, right? Instead, you've got to be fruitful and risky. You've got to take the things that God's put in your way. Okay. So let me pray. And I, after I pray, if you feel today... Did you need to change something that you say, I've let fear run my Christian life. I've I've let fear dictate to me where I'm going. Will you come down and we'll pray about that. We'll pray about your health issues. We'll pray about anything that needs prayer. Okay, let me pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for everyone here. I thank you for the grace that you have put on their life. I thank you that you have called them, that you have challenged them, that you've made them disciples of yours. And we ask that we'll have the boldness to bear fruit. We'll ask that we'll have the boldness to let go and let God. We ask that you will cover us with your hand, that you'll cover us with your love, that we will not be those who are barren and safe, but those who go forth for the kingdom, that we will be like the disciples walking beside Jesus on that donkey, heading into Jerusalem, knowing that it's going to be tough, but being obedient anyway. So, Lord, we ask you to fill us with the spirit of obedience and the spirit of a strong will the things of the kingdom glorify yourself through us and help us to be the seed that goes down into the earth and bears much fruit in jesus name amen thank you for listening to audio from new life foursquare located in harbor city and norwalk california feel free to make copies of this audio to share with others but please do not charge for those copies or change the content in any way without permission For more information, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org.